Welcome to Reinventing Strategy podcast. This is a podcast where we discuss everything and anything related to business, strategy and sustainability. Today I have the pleasure of spending some quality time chatting away with my dear friends and colleagues. With me here today I have Michael and Reko. Welcome guys. Hi there. Hello, hello. It's good to have you here in our beautiful office on this really beautiful winter day. I wish we could share a photo of the scenario we, we are looking at uh, right here. Yeah, it has been a fantastic day. Uh, blue skies, crisp, crisp weather, perfect finish winter. Yeah, it takes some getting used to now that I spend some quality time in Spain without a, the, the warm clothes on. So, yeah, this is uh, a change in scenery, but a positive one. Very good. Good to have you back, by the way, in one piece from your trip. <laughs> As you know, it's that time of the year. If we think about um, where we are heading, I think um, uh, this is the time when we tend to reflect back on the things that have happened during the um, past year. And this is exactly what I thought we could do here today, to cast our thoughts back into what happened during this year, especially what we were doing together with our clients in, in different parts of business. I thought it would be interesting to share our thoughts and key learnings of the key things that we learned, experienced, and, and followed, and maybe even worked on during the um, year 2022. And once we've done that, we could uh, cast our thoughts forward and uh, um, shine the crystal ball and try to provide a sneak preview of the things to follow uh, in the upcoming year 2023. Would that be okay with you guys? It sounds great. Indeed. Let's do that. Good. Excellent. So... When we think about what were the key things, key takeaways from this ongoing and ending year, Reko, would you like to start with your key findings, learnings and insights? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I think I've been dwelling in, in very operational topics this year uh, in, on, uh, on, on top of dwelling on the strategic topics and I think what the world is learning at the moment and, and what I've learned last year is is that systemic transformation and, and changing a system is really, really, really difficult. And, and that has been my learning now that I've been dwelling deep into the taxi industry and, and firsthand seeing the, the, the transformative pains that the whole industry is going through. And... Uh, as a, as a little bit of background on, on the transformation, so th th there was a law change a, a couple of years ago that, that released the whole, whole taxi industry into a new type of world. But the incumbents, the, the old taxi forces, are, are still there trying to hang on to that old model. Where the, this, and then there are these new digital companies trying to bring in their own model and then the politicians are trying to resolve it by generating new regulation and law to to somehow fix the situation and in in some cases taking a few steps forward and then a few steps back and 
it seems that there is no systemic understanding of the forces at play, play but it is just that the, the decisions and choices are made in a sub-optimized fashion, looking at the rules of the old world and trying to apply them into the new setup. And it's really intriguing to see the big picture trying to build a digital digital solution uh, and, and trying to also address some of the sustainability challenges uh, related to uh, the taxi industry. And, and then seeing these almost political the natural forces in play trying to trying to create a, a change or, or, or actually holding on to the power that they used to have and I, I guess that's my learning that uh, the the power that has once been granted to a party in a in a systemic transformation environment uh, will naturally try and hold on to that power as long as they can creating a a force that that opposes all all of the changes and maybe the only way to start driving towards a a systemic change is is taking all the parties together and and trying to express that that guys in order for us to move forward uh we all need to sign into this one image of the future that that we all share this and and we share that there is there is good stuff to be had uh in here but at the same time you need to let go of this and and have a commonly made decision how to you know work in the new market and and only by that way only by understanding the benefits and maybe the losses and accepting them you can move into this new world i, I guess that would be summarizing that the the many projects that I actually did where where this same theme of systemic transformation, the need for systemic transformation, became uh, really evident. So you were working on a very sort of concrete uh, new model that is um, framed within a, a larger systemic change, right? And And you described also the sort of uh, existing interests of different interconnected parties that are providing some friction for that change because people, while they, I guess, realize that this capturing this opportunity together requires everybody to share that same view and uh, align own role accordingly. But then they are hanging on to their own interest and, and previous power, I guess you said mm. as well. Would mm. that... Kind of summarize that, that 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 summarizes it and and there is a there is a heap of examples of of uh, interesting paradigms that 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 happened because of this this power grab type of type of thinking that that many many companies seem to have based on your experience obviously people say that that would be exactly the opportunity for full-blown business disruption that somebody comes in and doesn't suffer from the friction and can actually implement a full-scale, reframed business innovation there. Would you say you see that opportunity here as well in this mobility space? Yes, very much uh, so, and, and I guess in, in quite many levels. I mean, we all are expecting the self-driving cars to arrive 
rather soon, and, and that's naturally going to disrupt the whole whole mobility in the industry. But that's, I, I guess, still about ten years away uh, to be realistic and honest about it. Given that the regulation will be also pushing back on on, on these type of tokens, but on a, on a very kind of um, closer to the hand, um, I, I guess even though you want to capture the market and, and get the benefits. I, I think what we've learned from the last few years is that you cannot uh, you cannot just use the market. You need to you need to be able to also pay back and, and, and try and be a kind of a you know a friendly player, not not just grabbing the market per se, because that, that will create a lot of pushback and, and unhappiness as well. So, so also maybe trying to get the social implications of these platforms uh, into the uh, equation. And, and I guess one thing <clears throat> we're seeing um, in, in many areas is that it's not necessarily only the companies, only the players in the market that, that need to change. Um, we're fundamentally still operating in an economic framework, in a regulatory framework that is made for the industrial revolution. And we're now trying to do changes around digital, around circularity, around sustainability, around ecosystems, all of that within a framework that's just not made for, for these new things, for these new approaches, for these new models. And you need to take all of these different stakeholders with you at the same time. And I think that makes it, and, and you mentioned it, like all the different stakeholders have different interests, have different objectives, um, go move into different directions. And I think that makes it so difficult that we're trying to address a problem of the digital age or of today with the tools and the frameworks that were introduced a long, long time back. And our political system is very, very slow in adjusting to these new requirements and changing that that regulatory framework, that economic model, and, and all of these things. Fully agreed. I, I think, and uh, one of the podcasts that I, uh, and, and we, I guess, uh, listened to some time ago um, was interesting in the sense that uh, it was not possible to take these kind of new, for example, social or or environmental metrics into account because there was no data. Monetary data was there always because it, it has been required and it has been the, the, the main interest. But, but now as it has become somewhat of a requirement to report on, on topics, uh, be it only for, for the customer's benefit, now that the data exists, we can, we can start managing things due to that information. And that allows us to start optimizing and and maybe creating benefits and profits out of other things than just uh, the, the direct monetary gain. Excellent. Thanks, Hreko, for sharing that very concrete yet comprehensive learning uh, of, of this year. I'm, I'm guessing, I'm only guessing, I don't know, Michael, what your learning will be, looking forward to it, but I'm guessing you may be touching upon some of these uh, uh, stakeholder value things, like what do different stakeholders, even regulators, kind of throw into a change. I'm not guiding you in any way, but uh, <laughs> just guessing. Let's see how my guess goes. Michael, would you like to share your key learning of this year? And I repeat, I have no idea what it is. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I, I can I can try. I mean, for me, it was mostly, I guess, what you call reinforcement learning. So, so it, it wasn't it wasn't all that much news. But um, if we look back a year, so a year ago, if we would have said in this space, we would have said like, what what a tremendous two years, the pandemic. We're now at the end of the pandemic, and and there was a lot of talk about the new way of working, and and now we go back to the new normal and and all of that. Now, if we look back this year, I, I think we see that things couldn't have been much more different from what we were expecting in the beginning of the year with the war in the Ukraine, with the environmental disasters that were hitting worldwide from from forest fires to to all, all of the different things. <clears throat> and I think what that reinforced for me is the belief that change, disruptive change, is going to stay with us continuously. There, there will not be any more a time where you can do a two-year strategy in the belief that that two-year strategy can be executed as it was written down. So that change is, is going to stay with us. And, and companies and organizations will need to adjust to that, will need to adapt to that. <clears throat> One very concrete example, I had the great pleasure and opportunity to, to work with Fortum and Juniper um, for, for some time. Um, this year, but already before that, and we all know what, what happened there. And, and if you would have talked to the colleagues at Fortum or at Juniper in the beginning of the process, their vision was very different. Their view of the future was very different. No one would have predicted a scenario like that, even if they would have done scenario planning. I think this would have been an outlier, uh, outlier that they would have dismissed in the, in the strategic planning because it was so out of this world. Um, and I think that that is that is just reinforcement learning. I think we have to change the way how we look at the future, how we plan for the future, um, how we predict. And now it's back to the to the stakeholders, how we predict our interactions with different parties in the system. We talked about ecosystems. I strongly believe very few companies will be able to make it in the world on their own going forward. There, there's just no chance in a in a disrupting disruptive world like this to do that, and I think that is that is one of the key learnings I have that this will change a tremendous lot for companies on a strategy level, on an operating level, on a systemic level, as as Reco alluded to, um, and that change will stay with us. So it it will, on one hand, stay interesting; on the other hand, stay scary. Um, but it is something that we will have to address going forward and companies will need to be aware of uh, on, a, on a continuous basis. Excellent. I like it. So your learning was the one of learning, reinforced learning in the times of uncertainty and uh, discontinuity. I guess that makes me think, and I, I guess you also mentioned that, that uh, in the environment where you have multiple stakeholders with different interests and you have your own view and prediction of the future and you implement your own action and you also try to understand what reaction that action will trigger for the other people. So I think looking at, for example, geopolitics, I think people have made 
false assumptions on the reaction that their action is triggering. I think that is also something that we've seen. Absolutely. And, and <clears throat> I think we've been talking about that. And, and Petro, we actually discussed about an article that will be coming out soon about scenario-driven or future-driven driven strategy. What we've done in the past very often is we have looked into the past and we try to extrapolate the future out of that. It's like, oh, yeah, in the past we sold 1,000 pieces of this product, so... Ah, sure, in the future we will sell another thousand. Or in the past, this is how the market reacted. This is how politicians reacted. This is how a government reacted. So sure, they will be reacting like this in the future. And that is a false assumption. And it's, it's even more a false assumption nowadays than it was in the past. Uh, and even in the past, it wasn't always right. And I think that is what we're seeing currently with, with the things that are happening on the political level, uh, but also what we're seeing uh, in, in the company context. You, you cannot create your future strategy just based on the assumptions of the past. You need to look at different scenarios. You need to look at, at different ways how other people react. And it's, I mean, maybe, maybe to, to simplify it, uh, when, when, I, when I talked to my sons when they were younger, um, they they would walk down the street and they would, would basically do things. And I, I always told them, like, you know, in order to be safe, you do not only need to look at what you're doing, but you need to consider what others are doing. Consider if the car that is turning left is basically looking at you. Mm -hmm. Consider if you run your bike down the street, what is happening with the kid that's basically playing with a ball. And I think the same is true in, in the world, you need to consider the different players and you need to be prepared for different scenarios that can happen and be able to adjust accordingly. And if you cannot adjust accordingly, then at least understand what it means for you and how you can avoid that a hit will basically bankrupt you along the way or, or cripple your, your uh, ability to, to act in the market. And, and I think that is, that is also back to the topic you mentioned, Reiko, around uh, systemic change, because we're not operating in the world alone. And, and through the dependencies, it's becoming more and more clear, whatever I do, it doesn't mean a lot if someone else doesn't react in the way that I'm expecting them to react. It could derail completely uh, the direction I'm taking. And I, I think what that will require is some creative flexibility in, in the company thinking. I mean, in the future, given your example of this car driving down the street, in the future, you most likely need to start thinking about scenarios. Okay, what if that car all of a sudden starts to fly or doesn't obey by the rules that I expect it to? Or that, that the road isn't the road anymore, it, it becomes a lake. Because they, they, everything changes around you. And you cannot make all the assumptions about everybody behaving the same way as you do. And it, it is something that we've already experienced with globalization. That there are different parties with different rules. And, and I guess we've learned to adapt to those. But now <clears throat> the environment is changing. There are, there are different kind of boundaries uh, driven, driven by that change, then there are these uh, 
new digital business models that are changing the rules of engagement and, and the, the way things operate on, on the fundamental business side, which used to be like that, that you could have a company rule go under the same business model for 100 years. Now, now, if you run for five years with the same business model, you're lucky. And, and even the very static ones are, are, are being, being disrupted all the time. So, so you cannot anymore make these assumptions by which you could derive your hypothesis. That, 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 that whole type of scenario planning is, is, is going down the drain. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think if you look at the bigger picture, I, I think what we've seen over the past year is a move towards a, a hyper-individualistic world. Uh, driven to a large extent by digital, by the possibilities to customize. Um, I'm not seeing the same web page you see, or I'm not seeing the same shop front you see. Um, so, so we see a hyper-individualistic world, but on the other hand, we need to address systemic change, which requires exactly as you as you uh, painted earlier, like everyone to work together and basically say, okay, I'm not just looking at my interest, but I'm trying to solve the problem for everyone. And, and that leads to a situation where you might assume that everyone is operating in the best interest of the group, while on the other side, everyone is optimizing their sel themselves or vice versa, or you have a mix out of these. And I think we've seen that in a lot of our ecosystem projects where we interviewed the different parties. And, and from, from a logical point of view, you would have assumed, like, yeah, sure, they're all in the same boat. They all have the same interests. But the interests divert quite, quite a lot because they are all operating in their same world, in their same context, in their same own in operating environment. And, and that then means that you're going into many, many different directions and you're not solving the problem at the end of the day. That would have been close to one of the themes I could have selected, which is related to the hyper-personalization, purposeful one, of our perspective of reality, for example, through the use of media and, and stuff like that. So be, we are really being polarized and bubbled up. But I, I chose a different one. And this is one that I have been interested in for a couple of years now. And I have had the opportunity to work on themes like this in business context as well. So I selected dematerialization of our economy. And I selected it because up till this year, it has been, I think, a curiosity because we, we have seen that planetary material consumption may not be a healthy source for business growth or economic growth for obvious reasons. Obviously, we are running out of materials, but also many material consumption processes also reduce um, greenhouse gases and so forth. So I've been following this quite closely. And obviously, during this year, we have seen a dramatic scarcity being introduced in some of the critical resources, like energy. And suddenly, all of a sudden, uh, material or resource scarcity has become a really valuable problem. So if we think about the economy in the past, the growth, the business and economic growth has been largely built on the fact that we extract planetary resources, we turn them into products and, and we consume them and we create economic value. Now, let's look at energy. We are in a situation where energy is life-supportingly critical in, in many areas. However, we suddenly have 
a complete lack of it. So the scarcity is there. And obviously, if we only rely on the existing market mechanisms, and we can see inflation kicking up because of, of, of the scarcity of energy, we quickly run into problems with the unequal distribution of that scarce resource to those who really need it. So I've been really keenly following the mechanisms that we can use to steer the market to also reward the reduction, for example, of energy consumption. Like in Finland, I think we've had a very healthy sort of social conscience on, on the fact that uh, government and, and other sort of uh, policymakers are saying that we should reduce the use of, of energy for the common benefit, common good. And I think we've been fairly good with that. But I can clearly see already now that there are some businesses who also see this opportunity and start rewarding individuals for not consuming energy. Because if you think about us as households, we may have the fixed priced energy deals and it doesn't benefit us personally, monetary-wise, not to use energy, but as a society and as a bigger system, it does benefit because it will reduce the scarcity, it will drive down prices, it will drive down inflation and so forth. So I can clearly see that there are some players who see this opportunity and start facilitating as uh, uh, dematerialization aggregators in, in these critical areas. So that has been something that I've been really keenly following. And I think this is also my prediction for next year, specifically in energy, that I can then elaborate a little bit more on. But how does that sound to you like? I think it's it's very it's very interesting that you chose that topic. And, and I, I agree, it, it has been a trend that has been lingering around for a while. Uh, but the last year has been accelerating that, um, given given the circumstances. And I think specifically energy is a is a very good example. But we see that in very many other areas. I mean, uh, one of the Taiwaliers ordered a laptop, and and I think the waiting time was six months for 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 a new laptop, um, because specific components can just not be purchased at at the moment because of ships being stuck in a canal because floods hitting Bangladesh because of, of all of these different things that are, are changing or, or impacting global supply chains. So um, I think it will be an interesting trend to see what that means and, and how will we react as a society to that. Um, one interesting data point, and I, I, I tried to remember where I, where I found that, but when, when the energy crisis started, there was, I think it was in Germany, the government said, well, you have to save energy. And what had happened was that energy consumption of the companies went down by 15%. Energy consumption of the private households went up by 10%. So, so it, 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 and I'm, I'm, I'm most likely messing up the numbers. So if someone out there is checking the percentages and all of that, let, let me know afterwards where I messed up. But uh, it, it's, it's interesting to see how, that is not always working and 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 I think we will need to find mechanism to to mechanisms to to address these these scarcity of resources the dematerialization of the of the economy um and to shift towards be it service models be it be it models where you incentivize lower consumption um and it's it's actually something we we do the circular economy assessment 
And one of the questions we're asking companies that take the assessment is, so what activities are you taking to reduce the consumption of your customers? And we had some really interesting discussions <laughs> around that topic. So what do you do as a company to make your consumers consume less? Which is counterintuitive, but if you look at, at companies like uh, Levi's or Levis, whatever pronunciation you prefer, um, they now do repair in their shops. So with that, they're reducing significantly the, the, the sale of, of new jeans. But with, with the repair, they basically open up a new revenue, an, an old new revenue stream. I think back in the old days, it was normal to do that. So, so I, I think it opens, opens up uh, completely new ways of, of doing that, even though it's counterintuitive to start with. And, and the trick there really is that there are stakeholders who feel that reducing consumption is a valuable thing to do. And they are willing to exchange value for it. It may not be the traditional, it may not be Levi's, but there may be somebody else who's actually incentivizing or even compensating for, for the reduction of, of, the, of, of the consumption. And this actually leads me to our prediction section. So my prediction would be that we see a, a, a um, introduction of these kinds of service models where somebody, whether it's in the energy world, for example, the energy retailer, or whether it's somebody else who kind of intermediates in the market and exchanges value, facilitates the value exchange for the lack of using energy, the reduction of using energy, and, and creates a new market-enabled market model for for enabling this dematerialization trend. I, I, I can see so many areas, like food waste, um, uh, many, many, many different areas where there is somebody who would be actually willing to exchange value uh, in exchange for reduced consumption of, of some material. So that, that would be my prediction to, to look out for in the upcoming year. And I, why this year? I believe there has to be a pioneering area, and I think the energy area is one that will explore this first. And once we get these services in place in the energy space, other businesses will see that, oh, I can apply that in my context as well. Um, I'm, I, I, I agree. I, I basically agree. But I think we will see this also accelerate in a lot of other areas. We, we worked with a customer this year. Uh, they're using aluminium. In their, in their products. And there's a lot of market demand for recycled aluminium. There's just no recycled aluminium to get in the market because the automotive companies are basically buying all the, all the recycled aluminium. So what they're thinking about is how can we secure recycled aluminium going forward? So they're thinking about service models, rental models, not because they like the rental models, just because they can get the aluminium back at the end of the life cycle to basically reuse it. And, and you will see that for a lot of materials scarce materials you're seeing that already partially with pet plastic as it is one of the plastic sorts that can be recycled uh, easily in into new plastic so you will see that across a lot of materials where the customers and the market will be demanding recycled uh, material instead of virgin material 
but where the recycled material is just not available in the right quantity or the right quality to fulfill these demands. And that's where you will see a lot of new models to incentivize either reduced consumption or recycling or uh, models like rental models where you can make sure you get back the recycled material at the, at the end of life. I love that example of the aluminum-based product rental model because it actually provides you with the evidence that actually the manufacturer themselves can monetize mm. such a model. Yeah. On predictions, Reko, what does your crystal ball say? Yeah, this was the problem. As, as we kind of stated in the beginning, it's not really possible to anymore you know, look at the future and be... be sure about it so it's it's kind of <clears throat> unreasonable to expect that we we create predictions but um I, I think what can be said maybe and it's not necessarily a, a, a specific thing that happens like next year but I, I think the focus on on kind of flexible operating models on all levels will increase so, so not trying to build them to be as changeable as as possible mm -hmm. will be a focus for for many companies going forward whether it be that they can basically move the workforce to work at night because the electricity is cheaper to looking at for example the, the war that is going on where the the other side has been increasingly innovative in creating flexible solutions on 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 new things reprogramming things and and being able to flexibly change their operating model to suit the need there is an ample selection of different examples where the nimble agile operating model has been able to take the market because they can take the change that that is impacting the environment that they're working in and but but that is a very comprehensive change it it also requires that the people change their views about how the business makes money how how do we operate e even even to the point where where they need to understand that their product is not anymore necessarily creating money at the at the point where, when it's bought but it somehow creates value then later in life and, and all of these things need flexibility. And I, I think there is going to be a huge uptick on this type of thinking and innovative thinking in companies in the next year, because there is no other way. Other, otherwise, they, they just die. The normal operating model doesn't work anymore. And that makes me think of mobile phones. In the past, we used to have the non-touch screen phones where all the buttons and functions were hard designed on, on the surface of that material and, and you couldn't change them. But then the, the touch screen world and smartphones made it so simple to change the full functionality of the phone and the user interface at any point of time. So I think that's almost an analogy to this flexible operating model of a business. Agreed. Yeah, and I, I think we're already seeing that in many in many areas where, where companies are trying to bring that in-house with CVCs, corporate venture capital, working together with startups and all of that. But I, I agree, I think that will accelerate 
and, and that will go across the organization. It will not just be a small group of people that gets to innovate and, and work with the startups and, and uh, can, can be nimble and agile and visit slush and, and party hard with, with, the, with the entrepreneurs, but it will go across the organization. And I think that is something that will be very challenging if you think about production. So production of big companies, of big machinery, how can you make sure that pretty much from one day to the other, you can change your production? Maybe from one minute to the other. So you, one minute you produce A, the next minute you produce B because the market has shifted um, and, and all of that. So you will see a lot of new modular uh, approaches in operations, in go-to-market, in products and, and all of that. So uh, I think that's a good prediction. And it doesn't obviously take away the fact that there will still be a ton of these highly capital-intensive businesses where you just simply cannot switch over overnight because you've invested into technologies that take years and years to develop and deploy and so forth. But I, I think and that links, links to my prediction. Um, I, I strongly believe that the the importance and the shift towards environmental sustainability will accelerate in 2023. Um, I, I think we will see a couple of things. We, see, we will see topics like biodiversity and freshwater come into the discussion. Uh, we're already seeing that this year to some extent, but that will be uh, much, much bigger next year. I, I, read a, I read a report today that basically says that the loss of biodiversity will have a more devastating impact on the world than climate change will have. So, so there is a topic there and there is a case to be made that it should be on the same level. Um, at the same time, I think we will see a lot of innovation um, in order to exactly address these uh, capital-heavy industries where you, not, where you do not need to change your machinery, but you can use either bio-based or recycled or, or more environmentally friendly raw materials in the process, like uh, recycled, like, like bioplastics or recycled plastics, where the process itself doesn't have to change. And then we're back to the startups, to the agility and, and the innovation. So I think we will see a lot will be happening in that space. And we will see the regulator come down very hard um, on, these, on these topics. We've already seen that with the CSRD uh, directive that just came out. We, the EU taxonomy will come out. There will be new regulations that will be hitting large companies primarily first, uh, but also small and medium-sized enterprises by 2025, 2027. Um, so we will see a lot of movement in the market, in in these directions, and, and we will see it pop up higher and higher on the sea level agenda. Um, despite um, the economic downturn, despite uh, inflation, despite all of these topics, um, and and I think that will be one of the key trends we will see in in 2023. Sounds very good. Thank you, gentlemen. A pleasure as always. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. If I summarize, and, and I, I repeat, we did not uh, align these things before the meeting. This was complete improvised discussion, but they seem to be fitting together. So we started with the systemic change and the challenges of it. Then, then we talked about the dynamic nature of the environment, 
operating environment, not the physical environment, and the need for reinforced learning, adaptivity, and so forth. And then, then we went to the uh, dematerialization topic of the economy and so forth. So I think that was a nice, nice roundup of the key learnings and somewhat the related forecast for next year as well. Even though we said that predic prediction and predicting is extremely difficult, as, as indicated by the discussion. There's one thing I'm pretty certain I can predict, and it is that this will be the last of this year's Reinventing Strategy podcast uh, episodes. I believe, Michael, you will be starting a new podcast series as well around circularity. So hope our listeners will tune in for that one as well. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. We're currently working on a new podcast called uh, Circular Coffee uh, Break, uh, where we will drink coffee and tea, I was told uh, the other day. So tea is also allowed. Um, but where we will have a guest um, and we will be talking about everything circular um, from the topics they do in their job to the topics they do in their in their spare time. Uh, wherever the discussion will take us. So um, we already recorded the first couple of, of episodes, so it, it should be a lot of fun and it should be providing a lot of insights and new perspectives. So hitting a podcast platform near you in the very near future. Absolutely. Thank you to all of our listeners for this year. Looking forward to the new episode and new series as well and uh, wish you a very good year 2023. Thank, Thank you. you.